Sasha and Malia, you have earned the new puppy that's coming with us to the White House. President Barack Obama has made many big decisions, but his choice for the first dog was one of the most closely watched in his administration. And the winner? Bo, a Portuguese water dog. Looking out for the first pooch will be no small feat. Will Bo get into trouble, like Ronald Reagan's Cavalier King Charles, who was almost lost to a freak accident, or like the breed that managed to bring a commander-in-chief to tears? Will the new Obama puppy rip the pants off dignitaries, like Franklin Roosevelt's German Shepherd did? And will the Obamas learn from President Johnson's biggest mistake with his beagles? Today, we take a look at the canines and other animals that have called the White House home. And we meet Bo's breed, the Portuguese water dog. It's a presidential look at first pooches on this special edition of Dogs 101. But I've already given you an important job. Animals have long been treasured tenants of Washington, D.C., whether livestock, wildlife, gifts from afar, or precious family pets. And the Obamas are not the first family to enjoy the special benefits a pet brings to residents of the White House. Their great ability to be stress relieving, I think, is probably the, the most wonderful asset that pets in general have given to the presidents. But all the president's dogs have captured our hearts throughout the centuries. In fact, more dogs have lived in the White House than presidents and their families combined totaling over 200 pampered pooches. Dogs have such a valued place in the presidency that President Barack Obama covered the subject in his historic victory speech. Sasha and Malia, you have earned the new puppy that's coming with us to the White House. The line of doggy succession at the White House stretches all the way back to the first administration. George Washington was not only the founder of the country, but also the founder of the American Foxhound breed. Washington crossed his Virginia black and tan hounds with the French hounds that were gifts from General Lafayette. Being a pet owner is almost a prerequisite for being a good president. The idea of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue without one makes it seem very barren. Although Abraham Lincoln's mixed breed Fido didn't cut it as a first dog getting left behind in Illinois, his photograph was the first canine candid to grace the halls of the White House. The Newfoundland, the largest breed ever to roam the White House and one of the earliest purebreds to live there, was cherished by more than one president for its loyalty. Ulysses S. Grant had a, a Newfie. Buchanan's dog, Laura, who was in Newfoundland, was known to lie motionless in the White House, but always keeping one eye on the president. A true nature and animal lover, Teddy Roosevelt not only had dogs, but horses, a parrot, a rooster, and even a hyena. Having exotic pets was very popular because uh, we were just discovering new species. So the White House at times had a kind of mini zoo feel to it. Other pets over the years included John Quincy Adams' alligator, Harrison's and Lincoln's billy goats, Jefferson's Mockingbird, the Coolidge's Raccoon, Carter's Siamese Cat, and of course, Socks, the Clinton's Stray Cat. Whenever the President and First Lady and Chelsea weren't there, the cat stayed in our office. 
And much to our chagrin from time to time, the cat would wander right across our computer tables and the uh, keyboard. And if you were in the process of working on something, that would create a great deal of distress. But in the White House, dogs are king. President Warren Harding chose the Airedale Terrier. The Airedale is a breed that I think is well suited for a president because it is considered the king of terriers. It also is a dog that is pretty tenacious, like most terriers, um, which I think a president has to be. Laddie Boy was Harding's precious pet. Not only did he have his own hand-carved chair for high-level meetings, he was also presented with a birthday cake built entirely of biscuits. Many people compare the young Obama family to the Kennedys, and the Kennedy family was overflowing with pets. He seemed to surround himself by animals, and I believe he built a special area, sort of play area, for children and dogs off one end of the west wing of the White House. Kennedy loved his dog so much that he mandated that when he arrived in the presidential helicopter, his dogs always had to be there to greet him. In more modern presidencies, dogs became more involved in politics. They can help presidents get out of a jam. A Nixon, somebody accused him of misappropriation of some $18,000, and so he used his dog, Checkers, um, in a speech to kind of get himself off the hook. It was a little cocker spaniel dog. The dog was sent to Nixon by a supporter. He explained away the $18,000, but when it came to the dog, he was defiant. He deflected attention away from the money and on to Checkers. Regardless of what they say about it, we're going to keep it. The speech worked. And uh, somehow that endeared him to the American public that he was prepared to hang everything on the line for a dog. President Gerald Ford held a very special place in his heart for liberty, a golden retriever. Coddled, I think, would be a good word to use when it came to how President Ford felt about the dog. Uh, constantly at his side in the Oval Office. Goldens are one of the most highly trainable breeds, and this worked in Ford's favor. President Ford used to use liberty as a tension breaker and to even end meetings with uh, people in the Oval Office. Ford would make some kind of gesture and Liberty would immediately jump up and go across tail wagging and interrupt everything and that signaled the end of the meeting. Another lovable retriever was President Clinton's Labrador, who helped his president on a more personal level. Uh, somebody once said that uh, Buddy was the only friend he had in the White House who could not testify uh, against him. The dogs uh, provide a soothing atmosphere for the presidents, I believe, and, and Buddy was no exception. Whether a Democrat or Republican, a first dog is a must for any president. Gutsy, confident, focused, fearless. It's the stuff presidents are made of. And Scottish Terriers, too. President Obama most likely gave the Scotty some consideration when he was thinking about a dog for his daughters. After all, the Scotty is one of the most popular breeds for presidents. It's a little surprising because, as a general rule, Scottish Terriers are extremely tenacious, but um, maybe that's part of why presidents like them, because they feel that they have a companion who's going to look out for them and not let anybody mess with them. 
Two of the most recent Scotties in the White House were Farney and Miss Beasley, along with their owners, the Bushes. Actually, I always think in the case of George Bush that uh, the dog actually looks a bit like him. You know, they say people look like their dogs and there's this sort of bushy eyelids and, uh, you know, they're both very tenacious nature. Through the years, the country has fallen in love with these Scotties, who are the first presidential dogs to have their own webpage. Bernie, I know you want to be in my cabinet, but I've already given you an important job. Your job is to take care of Miss Beasley. Your job is to welcome her into our family. Walter Scheib, executive chef in the White House, had direct contact with Clinton's buddy and the Bush's dogs. Miss Beasley appeared on the scene and, you know, as a, as a young pup, really enlivened the house, was running around, was crazy. Uh, Barney, uh, there was a little bit of jealousy, as I think, uh, any, any sort of relationship when the, the new kid on the block, Miss Beasley, came in. Barney, I hear you've been hiding Beasley's gift all around the White House. Perhaps this is a case of sibling rivalry. And George W's dog has at times been as controversial as the president. Yeah, you have a great story to tell. What is your story? I got bit by Barney. I think that probably the president would have bit the press every now and again if he could have gotten away with it. What do you say to that? The Obamas will learn, like George Bush, the first pet gets lots of attention. And the first thing that the president would do when he came to the residence floors was greet the dog, then his wife, actually, in, in that order. A lot of times when I knew that my husband was making very, very difficult decisions and was weighing the difficult decisions he made, I'd look out the window of the White House from above and see him on the lawn with the dogs and, and know that that was a time of the day that he could walk out and be by himself with them. Then President Bush, 43 as we refer to him, uh, has the dogs sleeping with him uh, in the bed, he and Mrs. Bush. But George W. wasn't the only Bush with a famous dog in the White House. In fact, his father, George Herbert Walker Bush, and his wife, Barbara, had Millie, an English Springer Spaniel. And they are beautiful dogs. They can be uh, very affectionate and um, sometimes good with their family, but not all of them. I know Mrs. Barbara Bush quite frequently would kiss Millie on her nose. She called it a pig nose because of the coloration, the pigment that was in the dog's nose. Everything gets documented, even what happens in the shower. There's a story that uh, President 41, George Herbert Walker Bush, used to share his shower with uh, Ranger and sometimes Millie. Um, the truth is, it's absolutely the truth. And then Millie decided to have a family and some criticized that. There are enough unwanted animals in America. It's a huge problem, and there really is no reason for the president to breed yet another litter of puppies. But the doggies were born, and Mrs. Bush was lying right on the floor next to Millie as it all happened. We pulled a mattress off of one of the beds in the adjacent room and laid it on the floor for Mrs. Bush to be a little bit more comfortable while Millie was giving birth to her pups. But what really put Millie, the Springer Spaniel, over the top in popularity was her book, which, by the way, outsold books written by both Bush presidents. It was a bestseller. Everybody loved Millie. Everybody loved her puppies. And one of her puppies, of course, everyone knows, went on to be George Bush's spot. When George W. entered the White House, he brought one of Millie's pups with him. Her name was Spot. But as we all know, dogs get older, and dealing with it is always difficult. On the evening before uh, Spotty was put down, the president was out on the south grounds, lying on the grass, 
with Spot actually cradled in his arms. Um, as you can tell from my voice, it was a very poignant moment. And um, that's the kind of relationship that the families have with their pets. And after George W. Spotty passed away, the little black Scotties, Barney, and Miss Beasley were the only bush dogs lapping up all the attention. Bo may be in the spotlight right now, but this pooch will have a hard time upstaging FDR's famous Scottish Terrier, Falla. There's never been a dog like Falla in the White House, and there never will be. And it was this famous shot that got everybody loving Falla. There was the inauguration in, in January of 1941, and Falla came running out of the White House and jumped in the presidential limousine and took what he knew would be his seat right next to the president. Fallow was always by the president's side, starting with breakfast in bed with him every morning. Dinner time was a real ritual for Fallow. He had to roll over, he had to stand up and beg, and then he had to shake hands, and finally he got his dinner. Fallow traveled everywhere with FDR. He was his quintessential sidekick. Fallow was present and as the president was signing treaties with Winston Churchill, and off the coast of Newfoundland. One of the most famous speeches made by the president to the Teamsters Union was in reference to his Scotty dog. These Republican leaders have not been content with attacks on me or on my wife. They now include my little dog, Fallon. <laughs> I don't resent attacks, but Fallon does resent attacks. But when FDR passed away, Fallon knew it. Fallon was lying on the bed, I believe, and suddenly stood up and seemed to be looking at something in the air and started to act kind of crazy at the precise time that FDR was proclaimed dead. Fittingly, Fallon was buried in the Rose Garden at Hyde Park, next to FDR and Eleanor. And Fallon is the only first dog to have a statue at a national monument. So whether it's a Scotty, a Springer Spaniel, or a Mutt in the White House, one thing is certain, each and every dog is different and will make a mark of its own. Until he moved to the White House, President Obama never owned a dog. So what could he learn from the greatest dog lover of all the presidents, Lyndon Baines Johnson? who tried sneaking his dog, Yuki, into daughter Lucy's wedding. I think Daddy looked at Yuki as a family member, and to exclude him would be to exclude a member of the family. He even sent out Christmas cards with a picture of himself and his dogs. My father was just devoted to animals, really, of all kinds, but specifically to dogs. On the other hand, his wife, Lady Bird, barely tolerated them. Lady Bird was not that thrilled with dogs. There are people who are especially enthusiastic about dogs. My father and I were two of the ones that were especially enthusiastic, and my mother tolerated our enthusiasms. Out of devotion to her family, Lady Bird reluctantly gave in to LBJ's adoration of his dogs. Uh, he lived for his dogs, and, and I think that says a lot about the man. LBJ really understood dogs. His drawers were laden with dog chew toys and bones. Arguably the greatest dog lover of all the presidents, Lyndon Johnson had seven dogs that lived in the White House during his presidency, 
five beagles, a collie, and a mutt. The first and the most famous of all the dogs in the LBJ administration were his two beagles, him and her. I don't think any member of the family would want to take credit for the fact that they got those names. One of the most popular dogs in the United States, beagles are scent hounds with energetic and cheerful personalities. I think a beagle in the White House could be a little tough because they are a very vocal, active dog. But I have to say, if you're going for choosing a dog that gets you great press um, and warms you up to America, I think you hit the nail right on the head with a dog that inspires Snoopy. These dutiful dogs helped campaign for LBJ's re-election to the presidency in 64. LBJ won by 15 million votes, gaining the nickname Landslide Johnson. But he soon landed in the doghouse. My father was in the presence of several members of the press. And he was trying to show off how the dogs could stand up on their hind legs. He picked those beagles up by the ears and he said, oh, they love it, they love it. Of course, they yelped and screamed and of course, the, the public went crazy. There was a mighty protest that he had tried to literally pull and hold the dogs up by their ears. He didn't actually pick the dog up by the ears, he didn't hang it like this, he just lifted the front feet off the ground. He never did that trick again. <laughs> While the beagles got the most fame, LBJ's greatest love of all was a mutt. We had a particular dog that lit up my father's life that sometimes has not gotten the play that the, that the Beagles did. Yuki was a terrier, a mixed breed. So I took this little dog that had been abandoned at Johnson City Filling Station home to um, the LBJ Ranch. Yuki and LBJ's relationship all began when Lucy snuck the dog into the White House kennel while she went on vacation. And I thought, you know, my parents aren't going to see, they're not going to know. I came back about a week later to discover on the front page of the New York Times a picture of my father. And lo and behold, but who was in the background of this photograph but Yuki. And I was just mortified because obviously I had been caught in having left my dog who had not been invited to the White House. LBJ and Yuki had quickly developed a strong bond, so Lucy gave the dog to her father as a birthday present. My father had absolutely fallen in love with this dog. He adored the concept that an abandoned dog at a country filling station, a mutt with no pedigree whatsoever, sleeping with the President of the United States, and for his remaining days in the White House, Yuki was either two steps in front or two steps behind LBJ. They were inseparable. He went to work with Daddy. He came home with Daddy. He slept with Daddy. One of LBJ's favorite pastimes was to sing duets with Yuki. Yuki would react to uh, a high-pitched voice and would sing along with it. dog would look at the president and go, ooh. In fact, LBJ would sing with Yuki in front of just about anyone, including the U.S. ambassador to Great Britain. His mouth dropped open, and there was this president and the dog sitting in the Oval Office, a-howling and a-howling. Yuki and LBJ's song of choice was the Star-Spangled Banner. There's a marvelous picture of my father back at the ranch actually singing this song 
with my young son and my little boys looking up in absolute wonder and awe at his grandfather. And the dog is singing and daddy is singing and the little boy is just uh, dumbfounded. After Johnson left the White House, he took Yuki back to the LBJ ranch. On the day that my father died, my mother said to me, Lucy, there's one person I'm going to ask you to tell about your dad. So I said, Mother, who's that? And she said, will you tell Yuki? And my mother was the last person on earth to view Yuki as a person. But that night, she did. Lucy brought LBJ's beloved Yuki home to live with her, where he lived six more years. What's life like for a dog living in the White House? First, it's a member of the family. And second, it's a pretty good life. There's no doubt about that. For most presidential dogs, and Bo is no exception, the White House is a pooch palace. Well, I mean, I think these dogs have a terrific time in the White House. I mean, you're going to have the best vets. You're going to have the best food. You're going to get plenty of walks. It's a pretty good life. Let's take a look from a dog's point of view. The White House is situated on 18 acres of land. Not bad for a canine cavort. The main residence has six levels with 132 rooms and 35 bathrooms. That's 55,000 square feet of roaming space for a pooch. And if your name was Buddy, Liberty, King Tut, or Millie, you would have had an all-access pass to the east and west wings. That's an additional 12,000 square feet of space. Millie would trot through the building and scratch at the Oval Office door until the president let her in, and then she'd go down the hall and visit with president's staff. And when she got tired of that, she'd go out and play in the grounds with the groundsmen. So these dogs clearly have the good life, and Bo takes full advantage. In fact, he's woken up the first family playing with his ball in the wee hours. They're living the life of Riley. They're, they're running up and down the corridors and having tremendous fun, and they go out on the lawns, they run this way and they run that way, and. You know, I think it's just amazing. So a White House dog has a pretty amazing life. Good thing a four-year term for a pooch is 32 dog years. It's going to be a dog's life, and I can't think of any better place to have that life than at the White House. Part Springer Spaniel and a gift from Amy Carter's teacher, Grits was constantly competing with Amy's Siamese cat, Yin Yang. After a mysterious visit with a dog trainer, Gritz was sent back to his original owner with no explanation. The first doggy impeachment. A president must make many decisions. The choice of which dog to get is one that President Obama studied carefully. To prove how important that choice was, he might have looked no further than the Reagan dogs. So Reagan had a Bouvier de Flandre. I sound very chic when I say that. A dog that is actually a herding breed, but also a guarding breed. They're very big. And unfortunately, I think Reagan was a little overwhelmed by his dog. We have a puppy. <laughs> As a puppy, Lucky was a cute little ball of fur. But it's not uncommon for the Bouvier de Flanders to reach 120 pounds. Lucky grew up fast and her natural instincts led to some embarrassing public relations gaffes. Lucky was just a big dog. 
I think it ended up being somewhere in the vicinity of 80 pounds. It just didn't fit the White House environment, and certainly Mrs. Reagan was a very petite lady, and her trying to rein in this wonderful sheepdog was quite a sight. As Lucky grew, her 80 pounds and herding instinct would give the president a run for his money, literally. This dog was too much dog for Reagan, who was seen in front of Margaret Thatcher being dragged along behind his dog. <laughs> British don't like to see dogs behaving badly. So I think he was pretty well shipped off to the ranch in California. So with Lucky out, Rex the Cavalier King Charles was brought into the fold. Now the Cavie is an old aristocratic lapdog. It was the favorite of European royals. Perfect for the White House, right? Well, depends on who you ask. He's always yapping and barking and nipping at people's ankles. and wasn't exactly the favorite of all the staff. I didn't have a great deal of problem with him, but I did carry a rolled up newspaper behind my leg whenever I took uh, papers up to the president and first lady. Rex, Rex, over here, boy. Rex's constant yapping did not amuse President Reagan. President related, I think, in his diary that he thought sure that uh, Rex was barking at uh, Lincoln's ghost. Boo. Rex nearly became a ghost himself during one near-fatal elevator mishap. It all started when a staffer escorted Rex up the White House elevator after a late-night walk. The person who was walking, the dog stepped off of the elevator, and the dog stepped off of the elevator, and the next thing you know, the elevator doors are closing. But he doesn't notice that the dog is scooted back onto the elevator, and suddenly the elevator is going down. To the horror of the staffer, the elevator doors closed on Rex's leash. Luckily, the elevator only went to the first floor and the engineer went running down. The doors open up and the poor dog is hanging about the side of the ground by his leash. Rex was fortunate to come out of that one unharmed. The White House staffers were also thanking their lucky stars. I don't think you'd want to kill Mrs. Reagan's dog. The president and Mrs. Reagan never found out about that. The cat's out of the bag now. Reagan wasn't the only president to bring a dog into the White House that was hard to handle. In the 50s, America liked Ike, and Ike liked dogs a lot. But the antics of one mischievous Eisenhower pet may have put its breed in the doghouse with the American public. Granddaughter Susan was about the age of Sasha Obama during Ike's time in the White House. Ike had grown up on a farm and was always surrounded by animals. Enter Heidi, a large Weimaraner. There was always this tension between this large dog and a confined space. It was said Ike couldn't control Heidi worth beans at the White House. Heidi's antics soon drew the ire of First Lady Mamie. She loved fine things. She loved silks and brocades and antique furniture. And I'm sure that a dog like this, especially a big dog, would have represented a great challenge. Heidi became overprotective of Ike, even jumping on the First Lady whenever she got too close to the president. Then Heidi went too far. Heidi soiled one of the rugs in the White House. My grandmother was a, a typical a general's wife. People said it cost the taxpayers about $20,000 for destroying the carpet. Mamie worked all night to clean the soiled carpet. As for Heidi, this was the last straw. As a result of uh, this fatal error on Heidi's part, Heidi got sent into exile. Heidi's saga may have negatively impacted the Weimaraner's image. I gather that the Weimaraner actually lost a bit of popularity after the Eisenhower years. At least the story had a happy ending for Heidi. Exile proved to be doggy heaven in the Weimaraner-friendly setting of the Gettysburg Farm. 
The Obamas have learned what other presidents have. The first dog is the number one canine ambassador to the world. So the presidential pup is always a model of good behavior, right? You can't just walk into being a White House dog. You have to make sure that you've been properly trained and, and, and properly schooled in, in uh, gentlemanly behavior. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Unfortunately, many of the dogs at the White House are not well behaved. Over the years, many presidential pooches have been ill-tempered, unruly, and just plain bad dogs. We have high expectations for um, presidential behavior, even if it's for presidential pups. The White House, like the home of any pet owner, has had its fair share of doggy mistakes. White House staff do their best to keep presidential pooches' puddles under wraps. Your job is to do what you're hired to do, plus whatever else needs to be done. If that involves cleaning up after Barney or Buddy, yeah, you do it. But dogs have a mind of their own. And sometimes, presidential dogs feel the need to mark their territory, even if it's the White House Christmas tree. I believe it was Barney who went over to the tree and he lifted his leg. And then there's the time that Millie got a little bored at one of George H.W. Bush's speeches. He's at the podium, and Millie is right in front of the podium, and she's squatting. And Mrs. Bush has this look on her face. Oh, like, oh, I didn't see it. I did not see it. Millie was apparently a very well-hydrated dog. While Mrs. Bush was being interviewed by Sam Donaldson, Millie jumped off the couch and eliminated on the rug. When dogs have their run of the place, sometimes things can get a little wild. But that seems to be exactly how Teddy Roosevelt liked things at his White House. In the White House, you would have a thunderous pack of dogs running around. Roosevelt welcomed them in any room at any time. There's the old rule that retrievers will always find a body of water. President Clinton's lab buddy and President Ford's golden retriever Liberty were no exceptions. They invaded the White House fountain whenever they could. If they were hot, they would jump into the fountain. If they were chasing birds, they'd jump into the fountain. If they just wanted to chase the water, they'd jump into the fountain. But diving into the fountain is better than diving into a formal breakfast. Roosevelt Setter at one point actually went into the dining room and ate 18 breakfasts that had been set out for a diplomatic meeting. And actually the president said that the dog would have drank the coffee if it had been put out as well. The first pooch isn't the only one who exhibits bad behavior in the White House. One of the Christmas trees was delivered and it was wrapped in burlap. Secret Service dogs are trained when they attack somebody that person's arm is wrapped in burlap. And when the dog smelled the burlap, it attacked our ornamental tree. But even that paled in comparison to the near international incident caused by Franklin Roosevelt's German Shepherd Major. FDR had an incident with British Prime Minister Ramsay MacDonald where it sort of ripped the seat out of his pants and rendered him indecent. This was during a time when war was about to break out. So that must have been a really hard thing to deal with on a PR level, to have a German dog biting the British ambassador. That probably qualifies Major as the naughtiest dog in the White House, but at least Major was not caught on camera. Barney Bush caused quite a stir with his snap at a Reuters reporter, John Decker. I asked if I could pet him, and his handler said, sure, no problem. Well, Barney obviously wasn't okay with that, and he took a nip out of my right index finger. I've covered so many stories here at the White House over the years, but it takes getting bit by Barney uh, to get the kind of attention that I've received. But who was at fault here, Barney or the reporter? You have to respect old dog space. That would be a good lesson for anyone who saw on television the, the Barney snapping incident. They were very kind and gracious in terms of uh, the note that Mrs. Bush sent to me apologizing on behalf of 
uh, both herself and Barney. She said that uh, he's in the doghouse. So with all these stories of bad behavior, what is it about the White House that can bring out the worst in dogs? I think that it's probably stressful to live in the White House for, for a dog because there's so much going on, there's so much chaos, and I would imagine there's not as much consistency as would be ideal for a dog. Every little thing they do wrong is magnified by the press. Why is that? Well, because it makes news, and people love news to hear how their dog misbehaved just like our dog misbehaved. Whatever the case, at least there's one member of the White House staff that doesn't worry about a dog misbehaving. Well, I tell you, a dog would never bite the cook. Uh, we are the source of all wonderful snacks. On the night Barack Obama was elected president, he made one big promise to his daughters. You have earned the new puppy that's coming with us to the White House. And like all of Obama's important decisions, he made it clear he had priorities when selecting the first dog. Our preference would be to get a shelter dog, but obviously a lot of shelter dogs are mutts like me. There was much to consider. A president makes a statement with the dog he picks, but in this case, the dog fulfilled a promise made to his daughters, and there were allergies to consider. Malia is allergic, so it has to be hypoallergenic. Well, there is no such thing. I mean, you can be allergic to any dog. You're not allergic to the hair or the shedding. It's actually these skin scales and a particular antigen in those skin scales that triggers it. Like other families, it's the kids, like Malia and Sasha, who hounded their parents about getting a dog. The only difference with this little four-legged friend is where it lives. I don't think a presidential dog living in the White House should really be treated any differently uh, from a, a dog living in a regular home. Lots of little girls who have been in the White House remember what having a pet means. Lucy Johnson was 16 years old when she moved into the White House. Unconditional love. <laughs> uh, I think when you're, when you're in the White House, um, there's always that issue. Does somebody really like me because of me, who I am, what I'm all about, or do they have an ulterior motive? Well, your puppy dog doesn't have an ulterior motive. Susan Eisenhower witnessed the problems created by the wrong dog. You want to avoid the kind of breeds that have a very territorial uh, attitude towards uh, their main relationship. Uh, and I say that because um, in the White House there are so many people who are interacting with the first family. If the breed is, is kind of a jealous type, uh, then I think this could uh, cause a lot of trouble. The other consideration for any family adopting a dog is who will be the pet's primary caregiver. The first daughters should definitely play a big part in taking care of their new dog. It's a, a wonderful way for them to learn responsibility and obviously to get a sense of unconditional love from a little creature that's going to be with them at all times. The president has the pressure of the world on his shoulders. When Barack Obama took over, one hard decision to face was the right dog breed to select for his daughters. Dog. Well, from my experience, most guys start off wanting a bigger dog, you know, the big manly dog they can play fetch with. Um, but the minute that they have a small dog in their lap, they're won over. When the new first family put the word out that they'd be getting a dog, they sparked a national debate. Golden doodles are great. I don't think they need a poodle. A golden retriever. He wants to get a mixed breed dog because he says that represents him. Why? 
order a pet from a breeder when you can save a dog that's in a shelter. Everyone had an opinion, but the buck, or bark, stops here. Some thought the poodle was the right choice. They have hair, not fur, so there is less dander and they can be less allergenic. But other breeds are low on dander, like the Bichon Frise, the Yorkshire Terrier, and the soft-coated Wheaton Terrier. The entire country weighed in. I would just go for something of a, um, a medium size. In fact, I think a good dog for the Obamas would be, if it's going to be a purebred dog, would be a poodle. Another issue on the table, designer dogs. Some thought a designer dog with a funny name like Schnoodle or Labradoodle was a good option for Malia and her allergies. But exactly what is a designer dog? A designer dog is, is really a designer name for a crossbreed. Um, they call them hybrids, so you take something like um, a, a golden retriever and a poodle and you cross them and you call it a golden doodle. And some of the poodle designer breeds are? Labradoodles, um, they are very charming. They're beautiful to look at. Um, however, they are unlikely to be less allergenic because Labradors and Golden Retrievers both are two breeds that are very likely to cause a reaction. What about a schnoodle? Schnoodles are a cross between schnauzers and poodles. Very, very active in general. They can be less allergenic, but um, because of the poodle mix, but the schnauzer in them means that they're not necessarily going to be a dog that's right for somebody with allergies. Betsy Saul, founder of PetFinder.com, suggested the president get a dog from a shelter. Adopting a shelter dog is green. It's the ultimate good deed. These are pets that through no fault of their own have ended up in the shelter and they're just waiting. Today, shelter dogs are a different bunch from the old stereotypical pound hounds that nobody wanted. These days, there are plenty of purebreds and good old mutts. My favorite breed of dog is that little red street dog. They're just great dogs. They're the quintessential mutts. Whether through a reputable shelter or a responsible breeder, one of the most important features to look for isn't the color or size, it's matching the lifestyle of the dog to your own. As the world now knows, the Obamas chose Bo, a Portuguese water dog, given to them by Senator Kennedy. Bo is related to Kennedy's dog, Splash, and when he arrived at the White House, he was six months old. The girls named the pup after their cousin's cat and their grandfather, who people call Diddley. So the first dog is Bo. And while Bo doesn't sleep with the president, he has a pretty good life. Well, they all eat well in the White House. Uh, they get, you know, the best that money can buy. With five full-time world-class chefs, the White House kitchen is a pretty palatable place for a dog. But does the chef make the dog's food? The answer is no. The dogs get the prescribed meal that the veterinarians suggest. I won't say that extra treats aren't given from time to time. Yeah, you know, I tell you, it's hard to, it's hard to resist a dog uh, when, they're, when they're asking for something to eat. With a residential staff of 90, is there confusion over who takes care of the dogs? Usually there is one person who's really in charge of the dogs, and that's the way it should be. While Sasha and Malia are supposed to help care for Bo, Michelle Obama does a lot of the dog walking herself. And when she's too busy, Dale Haney, the White House ground superintendent, watches Bo, along with White House engineers. One night, while Herbert Walker Bush and Barbara Bush were away, Millie and Ranger got especially down and dirty on the White House lawn. And the engineers put a, a sign on their chalkboard 
somebody washed these stinking dogs, thinking that uh, it was just a joke amongst the engineers. Mrs. Uh, Barbara Bush came back, saw that, wasn't terribly thrilled by it. And Mrs. Bush said, I don't believe it. Who would call my lovely Millie a stinking dog? And boy, the embarrassment and the red faces all around for everybody. Who does wash the stinking dogs? Is there a staff White House dog groomer? There's nobody on the staff at the White House that does grooming. For the most part, grooming is done away from the White House. The presidential pup must look good on the outside and for the inside. Is there a staff vet? There is a veterinarian available to the first family if they choose to use them, and that's uh, provided by the military. But in most cases, they've used a private veterinarian. With all this top brass care, do the White House dogs have doggy doubles or Secret Service agents? To my knowledge, there's never been a double for any of the presidential pets. I can't imagine that there'd be a circumstance that would require that. Bo has some pretty big paws to fill as the first pet. Will he be as famous as Fallon? As rambunctious as Reagan's Bouvier? Whatever happens, it's already obvious that he's having a great time with the first family. Ha, 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 ha.